Geek News Reviews, Commentary, not just another podcast, on the Ordinary Pickball Broadcast. There is quiet out there. Uh, too quiet. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett, of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 39. I just had to sound like I was an old school radio guy, because I am actually an old school radio guy. My name's Kyle Hebert. I was an old school radio guy. I was a DJ, but now I'm an anime and video game voice actor on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast, Other World Steve. And I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. Catchy classic rock tunes that you never get tired of and get covered by worse bands. But still, the song still ingrains in our brain. I really dig this time of year for a number of reasons. Both of my kids are in school, so that takes some of the parenting responsibility off of me a little bit. Getting the ever so slight chill nip in the air at night, so fall is coming. And I do dig living in New England for that because fall is my favorite season. I love the entire month of October. I watched the most horrible uh, 1950s B-movies during the month of October. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much only listened to exclusively the misfits during the month of october but hey you know what we're into the second week of september i've already pulled out my misfits (laughs) yeah we get to october man it's just like oh it's all halloween time we got to sit here and watch ed wood movies and horror films and wish that uh vampire was still alive so we could interview her and put her on the show hey you know what though you you got um ben chapman the creature from the black lagoon i think as we get closer closer to halloween since you found the audio I think we'll make that part of our uh, Halloween podcast. That'd be beautiful. And people are going, what's Creature of the Black Lagoon? Oh, God, no. Really? Come on. Come on. It was the last Golden Age Universal picture put out in the monster genre. So it's pretty fucking substantial. Last year was the first time I watched the second two. Um, the Creature Walks Among Us and I forget the name of the other one. Revenge um, of the Creature? Revenge of the Creature. They were better movies, ironically. Um, and by the time the third one rolled around, I really had a lot of deep sympathy for the creature. So for a quote unquote, you know, shitty fifties B movie, I think the trilogy is actually pretty fucking good. He's not bad. He's just misunderstood pretty much. And and I think he wants to bone too. And you really can't blame him for that. Something in my brain is saying that like Clint Eastwood, this was like one of his first films, right? Uh, I believe it's the second one. I think it's uh, Creature Walks Among Us. He's in it very briefly. So briefly, he isn't even credited in the film. But when you see him on screen, it's like, oh, absolutely. That, that's Clint Eastwood. And I, I think it was his first Hollywood production. Everyone has to start somewhere. Just like we were talking about uh, the horror film community. Well, just the film community in general. Uh, the loss of Wes Craven. Uh, Johnny Depp recently... Uh, uh, spoke out in tribute to him as as uh, crediting Wes Craven for starting his career on the first Elm Street movie. And now look at him now. Look at him now. If you're listening to this podcast, you uh, should know a few things. Our social media feed at BB Broadcast on Twitter at BB Broadcast. You just do that. You send us love, money, bribes, you know, naked pics. No dick pics, though, please. But seriously, geeky topics, man. It's all the geeky news you can use. Believe it or not, this is a geek news podcast here on Smodco on Kevin Smith's Smodcast.com. We're here every week 
what we do is on Wednesday nights, typically at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, we have a live audio feed. Drop in on the chat room. Uh, we see the chat room as we are doing our podcast recording right now. So we want to give a, a shout out to Alan S. and Griff and Tara Chahime. And, uh, oh, we got some other people here too. Jazz Oldfield. We want to thank all the people that, that actually stop into the, you don't have to feel obligated to do the whole chat room thing. If you just want to listen, that's fine. If you want to hear it after the fact, that's fine. Live on the stream on Smodcast or just on demand at smodcast.com. Make sure and add us to your podcast aggregator of choice, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or, or whatever you want. Um, we're all over the damn place. Alan S. says, Dear God, The Visit has 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. Shamalama Ding Dong movie. An M. Night one. Yeah, yeah. Is that one that he's actually directed or produced? You know, because usually it's the, it's the Kiss of Death have an M. Night's name attached to it. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what his involvement is. We do have some people in the chat who have seen it. Um, so I'm sure they'll clarify. And I've been kind of poking some people to say, hey, send us an MP3 review. And keep it kind of timely, you know, three or four minutes. And I think we'd love to have that in the next podcast. That's a great way to whore yourself and get on to this podcast. We're whores. You know, give us material. That makes us work even less. Steve is like got a million browser tabs open with our uh, content here for the show. But we would gladly... Throw that all aside for a few minutes to pad with your awesome contributions. That's why we love emails. If we can kill half a show reading emails, that's a wonderful show. It's totally awesome. And we do have content for you. It's not like we're saying we don't. We, we want to, uh, since we did just mention that we are on Kevin Smith's network, Kevin uh, has found his mall for mall rats too. So that deserves a round of applause, even though there's only one person in here and it's me and I'm clapping incessantly. I think mall rats was... My most enjoyable Kevin Smith movie. I like Dogma a lot, and a lot of people say that was probably his pinnacle. Um, but I dug Mallrats, the comic book geek culture, so why the fuck not? I mean, we've known for a while there was going to be a Mallrats 2. And apparently, yes, the entire cast is coming back, which is a beautiful thing. So the mall in question is going to be the X-Ton, E-X-T-O-N, Square Mall in Chester County, which is in Pennsylvania. They're elated as fuck, too. And, and they've been putting it out on social media. That, yes, Kevin Smith selected us as the mall for Mallrats 2. I know it's going to start filming soon. But I don't know when the film itself is coming out. Kevin Smith, because he's, uh, I guess you can still call him an indie director, he actually has a pretty quick turnaround with his project. So we'll probably be talking about a release date before the end of the year. Tusk was was written, conceived, filmed, and released within a year's time, pretty much. So yeah, I'm I'm all about seeing Mallrats two and Clerks three is on the dock, and then of course his Yoga Hosers and Moose Jaws. You know, the basically the Canadian trilogy where the where the where the connecting thread is uh, the role of his his daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter, who are convenience store clerks in Tusk. They continue their adventures. I think it's so interesting that Kevin Smith and uh, Johnny Depp are so close. Where you know Depp has cameos in this trilogy of Canadian films, and his daughters in there with Smith's daughter. And then again, if you and I can have a podcast together, then I guess Kevin Smith and Johnny Depp can be friends. Speaking of cameos, let's hope that, you know, the comic book men or Ralph Garman or, say, those guys on the Big Ball broadcast could somehow show up in a future film. You know, a cameo, just something, you know, just hey, I, 
be awesome. I've been putting it out to the Smod Father for years. Hey, I got a you know band project here going on. I'd love to throw a track or two in your direction. Oh, oh speaking of music, let's talk about this uh, feud between Twisted Sisters, D. Snyder, and Kisses, Paul Stanley. Not Gene Simmons. Usually you see Gene Simmons in there. Hello, this is Gene Simmons. I'm making millions of dollars. That sounded like a really sedate Jerry Seinfeld. I was trying to do Gene Simmons. Not literally do. I'm a voice actor. I just trying to do his impression and it failed miserably. But anyway, what happened here? <laughs> D. Snyder, the lead singer from Twisted Sister, which I very much enjoyed growing up. He was on a podcast. And, and yes, kids, I, apparently podcasts can be dangerous nowadays. Uh, he was in a podcast. And he was kind of talking a little bit of shit about the new guys who were in Kiss. One of his quotes is, I don't see how people... Uh, could accept this. Tommy Fair? I'm sorry, it's insulting. Not only did he play in a tribute band of Kiss, he's imitating Ace the entire act. Paul Stanley got word of this, the, the lead singer from Kiss, and he responded saying, well, let me put it in the simplest terms. In this case, the guy's a wannabe, meaning Dee Snyder, and always has been a wannabe, and desperately wants attention and to be taken seriously. And that will never happen because he's obviously clueless, and he and his whole band are a bunch of buffoons. So they've been going back and forth. Snyder replied back, anytime, any stage, let's do this old school, no costumes, no pyro, no bullshit. Let's just get up there and rock. I will bury you, son. And that's his quote. And uh, these two guys have just been going back and forth for like what seems about the last month. In a way, I kind of hope this culminates into something where they'll actually get up on stage, have a fucking sing-off, you know, put your money where your mouth is, show me how big your balls are. That would be interesting. Because otherwise, you're not hearing a lot about either of these guys or either of these bands. And uh, the cynical side of me wonders if this was all just orchestrated to get some press for both acts. I'm looking at our chat room. Griff says, just saying, I prefer Twisted Sister over Kiss by one million percent. I mean, I don't know if it's a generational thing. You know, Kiss first came to be in the 70s. Twisted Sister came to be in the 80s. Kiss, you know, if we're, if we're going to call like a bunch of wannabes <laughs> i mean kiss as much as i love them you know they basically took the alice cooper act uh the glam style stuff that uh the new york dolls and everybody you know even little david bowie and throw that all together and throw in kabuki makeup and, and then call it their own and then they want to call other bands that do the makeup and the glam thing they want to call them wannabes instead of saying hey you know imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery i thought yeah, but I mean, Alice Cooper certainly didn't take it that way when Kiss started making it big with their theatrics and the makeup. He was, up until probably about 10 years ago, still ranting about that. Who the fuck are these guys stealing my act and, and everything? I think Alice Cooper was the first to really bring the theatrics on the stage along with the music. And yeah, I'm, I'm an early Alice Cooper nut. First three, four albums, I'll never get sick of playing those. Killers, uh, Welcome to My Nightmare, School's Out. Um, Billion Dollar Babies. Great, great stuff. Well, then maybe you're, uh, you'll you be interested to pick up the Hollywood Vampires, the new uh, supergroup project spearheaded by Alice Cooper. And you got Johnny Depp in there. You got Slash. You got Joe Perry. Even Paul McCartney shows up in there. Ever since Alice Cooper did one of the tracks for the Friday the 13th movie, um, The Man Behind the Mask, I checked out. I'm like, fuck that. This is just horrible. It, it's my, it's my <laughs> I like the early stuff. The early stuff, it's it's, it's more raw. And uh, musically, I think it's fucking incredible. And I think Alice Cooper, with his ensemble, brought more to the table musically than Kiss ever has. And it really I'm, that's not a, a backhanded Kiss. What Kiss did was they just pandered to the lowest common denominator. 
And I really don't see anything wrong with a recording artist doing that if you're kind of upfront about that. And we talked about the last podcast about having merchandise for everything, Kiss condoms and Kiss caskets and you name it. There's something out there with a Kiss branded logo on it. I don't have a problem with that. It's hard for me as a musician to look at artists like Kiss and say, yeah, you're musicians. You, you should receive accolades for doing music. It's kind of more like watching a comedy on TV to me. You are an act. That's for sure. It's, it's entertainment. Um, the music is debatable. <laughs> you got people going, this sounds like crap, but they put on a good show. <laughs> they are the Pacific Rim of the recording industry. Nice transition there. Good sir. Otherworld Steve talking about the day that uh, a lot of fanboys are mourning. Uh, as we record this podcast, it just came out on the social feeds that Pacific Rim 2 has been postponed indefinitely, possibly even canceled. What the blue fuck, man? I, I hate to say it, but I get it. You know, it's unfortunate, but I understand it. The movie only made $411 million worldwide. And that doesn't sound too, too bad until you realize it's got a reportedly $200 million production uh, budget mm-hmm. or cost, should I say. So that's kind of scraping after, uh, all your publicity and everything. That's not a giant profit. Apparently this movie did really well in uh, China, had huge success in, in China. And that's what got legendary pictures really excited about moving forward to a sequel. But I guess since they really got serious started crunching some numbers, looking at the script that uh, Del Toro has brought to the slate. And it's not looking very likely at this point, even the Hollywood reporter saying, yeah, we don't think it's just on hold. We think it's pretty much dead at this point. I mean, Godzilla 2 is moving ahead. Did Godzilla, the reboot from last year, do better than Pacific Rim? Even without looking it up, I could probably assume it did. $400 million isn't really a lot worldwide. I know. When you have things like Marvel considering Age of Ultron a failure. <laughs> or, you know, it only took in a billion. So It's only $1 billion, damn it. We need $5 billion. So we're not even hitting close to half a billion in today's movie market. I guess that's kind of the the market death. But it's really too bad. All the good toys are starting to come out. And I hope the news that this movie, the sequel, uh, may be axed, that it doesn't stop some of that merch still hitting the shelves. Griff says Godzilla did almost $530 And I guess it depends on, you know, again, what you're out to do, what you're out to shoot. If you have a $200, $300 million cost associated to it already then you have to talk about making a billion to kind of break even and i know this sounds kind of twisted but i mean that's the industry so will pacific rim ever see a billion i was gonna say people didn't take it seriously but i didn't take it seriously in the theater but that's why i enjoyed it you didn't sit around later and debate with your friends the finer points like a movie like the matrix or inception but it was a lot of fucking fun yeah, and Guillermo del Toro already had plans for even a part three where he, where Godzilla would actually be part of it. You know, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. I said, man, that's what I'm dreaming of. That's my fanboy kaiju dream. Let's have Godzilla show up and, and, and either fight with or against the Jaegers of Pacific Rim. I'm all for that. But instead, I guess the next best thing is we're going to get to see Godzilla fight King Kong. Dun, dun, dun. I guess you have to switch some, some legality stuff over, right? You got to you get King Kong to move over to Warner Brothers, where Legendary Pictures is housed for, for Godzilla and that whole franchise. And then, okay, so you had the Peter Jackson King Kong. It made money, but not nearly the amount that, like, oh, it only made so and so million dollars. 
And, and yet they're going ahead. Universal's going ahead with Skull Island set in the King Kong universe. I'm assuming that's still on the plate. That is. And what I was reading earlier today is there's going to be very direct references made about Godzilla in the Skull Island movie. Oh, shit. So I guess that would mean that it's set in modern times and not like the 30s or 40s like the King Kong one. And that, I think, was probably the biggest thing they brought to the table was that, yes, it takes place in the modern age. Very oh. interesting choice. Skull Island, to me, what it sounds like, it's already going to feel like Jurassic Park because you had... Granted, I think it was one of probably the coolest scene in the King Kong remake is him battling multiple T-Rexes. <laughs> it's like, it's pretty badass. But we've seen that. You've seen Jurassic World become a huge, huge phenomenon this year at the theaters. It's, it's going to be on video by, probably by the times you hear this podcast and probably make a billion more dollars. So it's like, we've been there and done that. Does the world need to see more dinosaur battles? I mean, I guess if we're sitting here bitching that we're not going to see giant monster and ki- robot battles, I guess fair enough. The audience has proven what they want to see in terms of giant monsters terrorizing people. It's to me just kind of scary that all the studios now are really banking on the next 10 years or so with all these shared universe franchises. You know, uh, Transformers, don't forget, has become this giant uh, shared cinematic universe where you're going to have different things going on in different films by different writers and different directors but it's all within the shared universe. This, the Universal Monster movies, which we still haven't heard too, too much about recently, but you're going to have all the Universal Golden Age monster movies coming back in the shared universe. The bubble burst, and, and I know, very generic term, and, and people say, well, movies aren't going to ever burst. But whenever the studio is banking on this lineup for the next 10 years and all these shared uh, cinematic universes, if this starts giving people headaches and people have enough, you're talking about fucking up again, the next 10 years from all the major studios. Right. Yeah. You've already seen like Universal try to reboot Dracula and make it like a Braveheart-esque, you know, action flick. That didn't really connect. And I kind of had a feeling it was going to go that way. It's like Universal's tried for the past God knows how long. It's like, let's put out Van Helsing and then that bombs. Or, I mean, it does okay. And then it just kind of goes away. And then they try to put out Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro. And it's like, that tanks. Like, okay, how many more times are we going to bring back the classic monsters? And, and you have yet another Frankenstein on the horizon, right? You got a, I think a Frankenstein with, um, what's his name? With, with Harry Potter in there or something like that. You got James McAvoy. Griffin, the chat says Skull Island is to be set in Detroit in 1971. I, I think that's true. I, I don't think that's a joke. I, I think that's the truth. Is Skull Island there? It's just like. My fiance thought Hell's Kitchen was an actual restaurant in New York. <laughs> Is it? Because I don't even know the answer. That's <laughs> Daredevil's grounds, man. That's- There's some big rumors. Marvel is going to be moving into phase two with Netflix, and they're going to be introducing a Spider-Woman film and all these other things. And I don't think any of it sounds likely. I think these are pie-in-the-sky rumors. So if you start seeing this come across your Twitter or Facebook feed in the next couple of days, I'd say just disregard it or take it with the smallest pinch of salt because I don't think Marvel's that insane. They haven't even finished their slate of their original launch of the Netflix series, and they haven't even determined which of these series might get a season two like Daredevil. So this shit is so fucking far away. Don't pay it any mind. <laughs> shit changes at the at the drop of a hat that, that we even kind of feel embarrassed the second we sit here and record it, put it out there, and like the day after – 
you get it like recanted or there's some major dilemma. And then we look like fucking morons the next week. That's what happened last podcast where I talked about this rumor going around that Nickelodeon was going to be relaunching some of their uh, 90s cartoons, the, the ones that were particular fan faves. Um, but it seems now, and again, you know, they still haven't been very forthcoming about what exactly is going on, but there's a commercial that's been on TV and it's over on YouTube and it's called the splat is coming. So this is a uh, tease that in some capacity, there's going to be some more of the nineties cartoons, Rugrats, Rocco's modern life, cat dog, Ren and Stimpy, other things. What Nickelodeon has kind of put out there on Twitter is that it's most likely going to be a program block on Nickelodeon and not a separate network by itself. One of the the very uh, dominant rumors out there was the splat was going to be an entirely different channel that just showed classic Nickelodeon cartoons, kind of like boomerang off of cartoon network. But now it looks like there's going to be a programming block, probably Monday through Friday, kind of like tsunami. And it's just going to feature the older nineties Nickelodeon cartoons. You're going to get like a bigger, longer shelf life that way. Because I would think if you do like a channel, like the hub, you know, you ran out of shows. It was great while it lasted, but it's like, there's only so much you can do. You can only rerun it so many times. We got to be careful what we wish for, (laughs) because if it's not a new show, then it's just going to be okay. The old ones, but we're in a different place in our life now. So how much of that old nostalgia bomb do we really want now? We look at our past through these rose colored lenses. And when you really get into it, it's probably not how you remember it. It's probably not going to hold up very well or be even remotely enjoyable. I don't know if they're hoping this might spur some DVD sales. They've got gathering dust in the warehouse somewhere, but I don't know if people are even going to make it through the programming block. Yeah. I'm looking at our chat and Safeguard says, I'm going to say we went into cultural stagnation starting in 2005 or so, but everything from 92 to 2005 on TV and theaters, music was pretty okay. I guess if you're a 90s kid, <laughs> I don't know. Me and Steve, we're uh, the older folks, and we remember uh, the golden age. Well, you know, I said cinema died after the first Matrix movie, for me anyways. And yes, I understand Matrix. Um, the Wachowskis borrowed from other tropes and, and other genres, absolutely, just as Lucas did with Star Wars. But to me, that was the last film I saw theatrically that felt fresh. And after that, everything's been a reboot, a relaunch, a prequel, a sequel. It's been very flat. Not that I haven't enjoyed some of those movies. I have enjoyed some of the Marvel movies. But um, yeah, culturally stagnant after The Matrix. Griff asked, Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings grab you? I mean, I love the original trilogy. I did not see any of the Hobbits trilogy, so... At Otherworld Steve over at Twitter. Don't bomb the, the Big Ball Broadcast Twitter feed over this. I fucking hate Lord of the Rings. They are so... Fucking boring. Oh, my God. Oh, it's like that scene in Clerks 2 with, oh, it's just an entire movie of walking. And the next movie is walking and tripping. And the third one is walking and oh, I'll just toss the ring down here. To me, it's mind numbing. I know there's Tolkien fans out there and, and God bless you. But no, no. It's just, see, and even Griff's fucking calling from my head right now in the chat. But sorry, that's not even entertainment to me. It's okay. We call ourselves geeks, and yet, you know, we would get fleeced for saying things like, no, we're not into Doctor Who or Game of Thrones or... (laughs) Never watched a single episode of Doctor Who in my life. I've tried. Oh, God, I've tried. I didn't know, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I was reading something last week where it's a kid's show. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there are kids in the fandom, but I usually see people in their 20s on up that are into them. And it's certainly, it's the current one ever since 2005, the, the newer doctors, not the old cheesy BBC ones in the, you know, shot on video in the 60s and 70s. Safeguard in the chat says, Doctor Who was extremely corny, but in a charming way. And I can get that. I can, I can get people finding a geek about that. I think one thing that's sad about Dr. Fu, Dr. Fu, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil, <laughs> sad thing about Dr. Who, um, as a historian, my heart really does go out that th- there's tons of, of, I guess they call them Whovians, uh, big, big diehard Dr. Who fans where you'll never have an opportunity to see all the episodes because so many of those original tapes are lost. And I, I just, I shed a tear when I know that, a crucial part of history like that is just lost to the ages and you'll probably never be able to, to get that back. They found some tapes somewhere really fucked up, like in Uruguay or something in somebody's basement and they were able to recover 20 or 30 episodes, but there's still a bunch of episodes that are just missing. Even the most sincere completists will never get their hands on. (laughs) You guys can sit here and, and, and tear us a new one if you want at BB Broadcast or at Otherworld, Steve, if you really want to. But we check that Twitter feed religiously every day to see what you guys are saying. The pulse of the people, as I like to say. Uh, whatever geeky thing gets your nethers all moist at BB Broadcast, the big ball broadcast at gmail.com or big ball broadcast at gmail.com. We have two email accounts just in case people forget the the, you know, and that happens. At BB Broadcast is also the place where you can find out the link to our chat room when we uh, broadcast on Mixler with our live audio feed on Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We usually start a little bit late, but uh, we like to have you at the ready in case anyone's like, I got nothing better to do tonight. It's like, All right, good. You can listen to us then. And of course, catch up on all the previous episodes on our lovely channel page at smodcast.com. And if you show up in the chat, you get these beautiful on-the-fly gems, like this one from Safeguard that says, Imagine if Tolkien got high with Tom Clancy and got input from Quentin Tarantino. That's Game of Thrones, magic, titties, political intrigue. What's not to like? I like that. That that That's the catchphrase they should put on there. Game of Thrones, magic, titties, and political intrigue. I'd watch it then. I'm sure someone has memed the fuck out of this stuff when they, when they just narrow down a plot to like a soundbite, something to... That sounds like a water cooler conversation at work and people are just trying to sell a show or an idea to someone else. It's like, you should watch it. It's got titties and political intrigue. I'll tell you what made me chuckle out loud this week in my social media feed when geeks asked for dick pics and it was all pictures of Nightwing. <laughs> yes, that's classic. I love all the memes picking on, uh, what's her name, Kim Davis, or the clerk that wouldn't give uh, gay people marriage licenses or whatnot. And the favorite one is a picture of Freddie Mercury. And it says, didn't actually like fat bottom girls, but still did his job. My favorite has been from the first clerks with Dante behind the counter. And it says, wasn't even supposed to work today. Did his job. He's like a, a palooza where we can just have all the podcasters together in this big convention center and just fucking take over a city for a weekend. That I think that was pitched before, but it was in the, in the, in the vein of a, uh, all the podcasts. It was just one big Smodco podcast marathon. And I think it may have fallen through at the last moment, unfortunately, but it sounded like a really good idea. Like fans of every show could show up and watch the show be taped and, and hang out and, and enjoy everyone's thing. 
Hey, kids, you know what you got to do this weekend? Tweet the fuck on Kevin Smith's Modcast Network. Tell him that's a great idea and you need to go through with that. <laughs> I know it takes money and a venue, you know, little things. That's when you find out how much the network's really making from these shows. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Safeguard says, I don't know. Pitting the Garmy against the rest of Smodco could be beautiful in a way that fire is beautiful, like when it catches a crack house ablaze. <laughs> James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, says the biggest Easter egg in that Guardians film has not been found yet, and it's even on home video. He'll spend time like just posting facts and trivia on his Facebook page, and he was posting some facts and trivia about Guardians of the Galaxy, and somebody asked, uh, just one question. Have all the Easter eggs in Guardians of the Galaxy been revealed? And he said, they have not all been found. No one has found the big one, really. Maybe once somebody came close. Um, and he posted that on September 11th. And to my knowledge, uh, nobody's been able to answer that one just yet. So Guns kind of really put it out there. A little disappointed in you guys. A little disappointed in my fan base out there. You've missed the biggest fucking Easter egg in this film. I love that he uh, does answer questions pretty much daily when, when people say things like, hey, is Rom Space Knight going to show up in the sequel? Because he loves that character. And I remember growing up in, you know, in, in the late 70s seeing that Marvel comic, Rom the Space Knight. And I guess for legal reasons, he can't show up. He says, I would love for Rom to show up, but he's not going to. And, you know, and he said, he, of course, he's not going to divulge, you know, what new characters are going to show up. But he, he has said, you know, hey, where's Nova? The Nova course in the fucking movie. But where's Nova? You know, we're not saying we're not ruling out Nova's appearance in this universe. But as far as part two goes, no. And what's pretty wild, too, is um, there's also some rumors flying around about Disney going into phase two with their animated programming on uh, Disney XD, where this new Guardians of the Galaxy series is uh, going to be airing or is currently airing. Um, what they're making sure they're doing with all the XD properties now is that that's all in a shared universe. We've already had a crossover with Ultimate Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and I think Hulk and the Agents of Smash also crossed over with them. And they're talking about the potential to bring more properties over to Disney XD and have this uh, cartoon shared universe on top of the cinematic shared universe. But the big difference, and they made it pretty clear with Guardians of the Galaxy, is while they may be a shared universe, they're only shared universes in their genres, meaning all the cartoons will tie together, but none of that's canon with what's going on in the movies because a lot of Star-Lord's origin in the cartoon is going to very widely diverge from what Gunn's planning for the next film. And then another nice little nugget from the Guardians of the Galaxy universe is a new soundtrack. People have been wondering, are we going to see a volume two uh, was there just Star-Lord's Awesome Mix Volume 1, which, which probably is one of the, the top-rated and highest profitable, most downloaded soundtrack of last year? Are we going to see a sequel to that before we get to Guardians 2, or are we going to have to wait all the way until the second Guardians movie? And, and fortunately, it looks like we're going to see some more tunes in that same vein long before the sequel. Absolutely. Um, another big list of 70s hits. Kind of sadly, I remember when most of these were breaking on the charts, which is kind of weird. This is actually goes exactly to what I was just talking about, and this is the mix for the cartoon series. And what's really wild is that Disney's fucking crazy. They got the, the licensing rights for these actual songs for the cartoons. So you get to hear these actual licensed songs by these original artists in the Disney cartoon. And I think that's really great because if you remember years and years ago, 
there was a huge issue about um, WKRP in Cincinnati coming out on Blu-ray and DVD because there were so many uh, legal issues with giving the rights to all that music that happened to trickle out during the shows. So you've got 12 tracks that have been announced. You got Hooked on a Feeling, of course, by Blue Suede. Funk number 49 by the James Gang. Drift Away by Dobie Gray. Walk Away by the James Gang. Poison Back in Town by Thin Lizzy. Shake Your Groove Thing by Peaches and Herb. Funk Funk by Cameo. Joy to the World by Three Dog Night. I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Rocky Mountain Way by Joe Walsh. Uh, so You Are a Star by the Hudson Brothers. And Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. I like how you could take it completely out of context and it just sounds like karaoke night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you know what? Fans are already crying foul over this, saying, wait a minute, if Peter Quill got the first two volumes of Awesome Mix from his mom, then where the fuck did this tape come from? Ooh, I guess you'll have to watch the animated Guardians on Disney XD. There's just Easter eggs all around. I just actually uh, did the iTunes season pass thing, so I've downloaded the first episode. I have not watched it yet, so that's on my to-do list for the week. Hopefully I can give you a brief review next week on the animated Guardian side. I know some... uh, some people I absolutely uh, respect and, and, and admire uh, on the voice acting side of it. Uh, people like Trevor Deval, who's Rocket, David Soboloff, um, Kevin Michael Richardson, um, Vanessa Marshall. They're the, on the voice cast. Will uh, Friedel or Friedel, who, you know, for Batman Beyond, he's he's Star-Lord. You know, now that we've got this show out there, I've been Jones and not to only be a part of it because, yeah, I'm a voice actor. I want to be a part of that, that thing. But I'm a huge Guardians fan. And of course bringing a tie-in show uh, with these awesome characters. I've been really chomping at the bit to see uh, if that could fill in the gap between the first two movies. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to reporting back uh, my thoughts on the animated guardians. It's funny because when I was reading about the potential that Disney's moving into phase two for their animated universe, I thought, well, yeah, that's more shows, more casting. Kyle's got a really good chance of getting us something really cool. Let's hope because the show's still in production. It's probably going to have more than one season. Let's face it. Uh, the whole universe thing. Yeah. Just uh, my agent must be slacking, says Griff. Like, no, she is not. I have, I've been very, very proud to read for, for tons of Marvel projects. But, you know, you can't be cast in everything. There's uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of um, very, very talented folks from all different walks of life, uh, different years of experience that uh, are all uh, getting a, a chance at this. I'm just lucky that I even have the chance to read. So uh, kudos to the cast and producers and animators for, for bringing something that uh, I think will resonate with the geeks for sure. And just getting back real quick to Disney's shared animated universe. I want to remind Disney, because I know all the Disney execs listen to the big ball broadcast, but I want to remind Disney that technically Princess Leia is a, a Disney princess. So I want a fucking Princess Leia show on Disney. That's true. That is an excellent point. Maybe after Force Awakens, you know, who knows? It would be great. It has to be Leia, though. Fuck, fuck Amidala. Let's see. Safeguard. Did you ever check out ACX? It's Audiobook Creation Exchange, run by Amazon, iTunes, and Amazon. Ah, I have not checked this out. Very interesting. The whole audiobook thing, yeah, it's a little daunting. It's a lot of work. Most of the audiobooks nowadays, you have to not only record all the voices yourselves, but you have to do all the editing. Uh, and that is a little too tedious. I did some audiobooks in the early 2000s before I moved to LA. You know, the pay was decent, but, um, yeah, it's really grueling work. You think, oh, it's just sit there and reading a book aloud. It's like, no, you got to make it interesting for the listener. <laughs> you have to be a good actor. You have to be able to bring these characters to life, whether they're your gender or not. 
and and have them all distinct. And when you see the length of these things, you go over to go to Audible and say, oh, what's the audio book for this Star Wars one? Like the new uh, the book set after Jedi, but before Force Awakens. Yeah, the audio book to that. It's like 19 hours long. Holy shit. Wow, that's daunting. But I can see if you have a long commute, you know, an hour a day, that's some good entertainment there. That's some serious flying time, uh, sitting in traffic time and all that. And that's great. I mean, I'm a little bit spoiled by the idea of audio drama, you know, radio theater, which they did with Star Wars on public radio back in the days. A couple of the th- uh, of the expanded universe things had audio drama things, but I understand it, it, it's a much bigger to do when you got to pay more actors and pay the, uh, the audio production and all that stuff. But there's at least there's no visual effects. That's where the real cost adds up. So, hey, why not uh, go into the audio realm as, as podcasts continue to pick up steam and people are listening to on demand things? Let's bring back radio theater, man. Absolutely. And, you know, radio theater was beautiful. Radio, of course, existing prior to uh, television and a lot of the big budget motion pictures. So radio was really the first true masters, uh, pioneers of Foley. So a lot of the sound effects, these guys pioneered a way to do that and, and have it relatively convincing. Um, I'd love to bring that back. The, the audio drama, the old radio type drama. Um, I have a binaural microphone set, which produces uh, essentially three dimensional sound. When you listen to it uh, through headphones, you can tell where in 3D space these sounds are coming from, and it becomes very dynamic, and it's audio only. I think that that is going to be the future of audio. We already have three-dimensional film, but we're dealing with kind of two-dimensional sound, even though we have 7.1 and everything. This is much more in vain of that. So, yeah, that gets my juices flowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In our uh, chat room, Jez Oldfield says, Aftermath is the name of that. That Star Wars book that bridges the gap uh, to Force Awakens. He says, I just started reading it. And meanwhile, Robert J says, I just listened to Star Wars Dark Disciple, which would have been the series finale for the Clone Wars. It is so fucking good. I think I've got that somewhere like on cassette. This was before I had a CD player in my car and I had like, "Ooh, this is this is cool. Where's the heir to the Empire? I want to see that be an audio drama. I want to see. Um, I remember when Kevin Smith actually said, you know, when Smodcast was going to first become a, a podcast network that he had the idea of of doing clerks radio dramas and stuff. And it's like, oh, my ears just like, ooh, perked right up. And to my knowledge, that hasn't, you know, happened yet. You know, could we adapt the comic books of Jay and Silent Bob and so on and just do that on, on radio theater here on Smodco? Or it's like, man, I'd be all over that. I'm thinking about how cool that would be to to do an audio drama in a, in a vein of films that are still in production, you know, it kind of turns that into some kind of weird shared universe using the internet in, in conjunction with going out to the theater and getting the whole story of what's going on. Robert J also mentions that uh, the star Wars book aftermath, he says, I heard it sucks and has a lot of bad reviews. I, I didn't hear reviews either way. I heard um, there's some controversy that, uh, that one of the main characters is gay. It doesn't factor into the plot. But his sexual orientation threw off some some hardcore Star Wars fans. It's like, why are you doing this? This is you know, this is just be some sort of political agenda and whatnot. I think in the Star Wars universe, you probably have bigger issues than um, somebody being gay. <clears throat> <laughs> Little things like uh, you know things the size of a planet that can destroy your planet with one laser beam. That that's kind of a problem. 
I was thinking more creepy shit, kind of something akin to the creature cantina on Moss Eisley, where you probably have some funky interspecies shit going on. And you probably got some, you know, human on droid action going on too. So I think gay is the least of your issues in the Star Wars universe. Sigmund 88 says homophobes, relics of the old world. It's like, but the Star Wars universe is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then Griff also says IGN gave Aftermath a 5.9. It's well written, but ultimately disappointing first look into the post Endor galaxy. Well, that's disappointing. I mean, granted, everyone has their own opinion about shit. Never listen to an audiobook. I, I, I feel so hypocritical. I try. I lose interest. You know, it all depends on you know how good of a narrator they get. Again, it goes back to acting. I think Neil Gaiman has a great, great voice, and hearing him narrate his own audiobooks that that's a fantastic thing. But other times, if uh, you're not feeling the vibe and the, and that person's voice gets on your nerves, then you're you're not going to be invested in the story and all that. Uh, and, and of course, yeah, your mileage will, will vary whoever they get to read whatever novel they got to hold your attention for, you know, over 12 hours, I mean, 19, 20, 22 hours, however long it is to read every single page and give it some dramatic oomph to it. You know, I was thinking about what you said a little while ago about when you're doing uh, an audio book that you have to bring definition to the characters regardless of gender. And I'm wondering how that works out with something like 50 shades of gray. I mean, at what point does it feel like you're dubbing hentai? Uh, does anyone out there have the audiobook to 50 shades of gray or is there one? And if so, I've heard that the, the main character, she says, Oh my, a lot. So I want to know if every time she says, Oh my, does it sound like George Takei? That's kind of creepy. I don't know. I don't, no, I'm not even going to go there. You know what? <laughs> move on to something else. Uh, how about Pokemans? <laughs> Pokemon. It's been this huge thing since the late 90s. I remember when it first came to our shores in North America. I was a DJ for Radio Disney. It's a fad. It'll go away. Shows you how much I know. We were giving away Pokemon in its first iterations. Game Boy Advance. All that sort of shit. It's still here. And now in the world of mobile gaming, Nintendo has finally caved <laughs> and, and admitted they stand to make a shit ton of money. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to pillage their uh, their income from 3DS by any means. The 3DS army is, is, is loud and proud and strong and loyal. But for everybody else who doesn't have one, mobile gaming seems to be the future. You know, in-app purchases, freemium content, that sort of distribution model, it seems to work, and Nintendo has come around, so you actually have a Pokemon game coming to iOS and Android. I think it's badass. I think that augmented reality really has a future. I don't know if it's ridiculously difficult to implement because we're not getting a lot. I think it has more potential than VR. I'll go that far to say that because you understand when you're looking through your phone, you know, but I think it's really cool. I think it's really immersive and I've never been a pokey thing fan. Um, but it got me to kind of sit up straight and I was like, huh, because especially with this being a branded property with a lot of money behind it, they can really do a lot with this. And hopefully this opens the floodgates for other properties to get involved doing this. Um, and to, to, Kind of echo what you were saying earlier, Time Magazine says that the Pokemon Company remains one of the strongest youth entertainment properties in the world, and they're currently pulling in about $1.5 billion a year. Yeah, something that just kind of occurred to me is like, yeah, with that kind of money and the fact that almost every kid nowadays has a smartphone or a tablet, you are tapping into the 3DS audience, but you're still making money off of them, so it's not it's not hurting you know, a different platform. 
I think you're actually better off because yeah, every kid nowadays has a smartphone or a tablet. My kids have tablets um, and they're young there. They're five and eight. So uh, I think you've already got that built in hardware market. Whereas you don't have to go out and buy that 3DS or, or whatever the next big thing is. The interesting conundrum for, for game developers on that. It's like, we want you to make a Pokemon game for mobile, but we don't want it to be better than the 3DS game. So don't make it too good. How do, how do you toe the line uh, in terms of quality? Well, I think it's apples and oranges. Uh, I think when you're talking about the mobile platform and again with the immersive technologies involved, it, it's different than what you're going to experience on the, the 3DS and, and other Nintendo console products. So I don't think it's necessarily competing. I think it's putting another flavor out there. And I'm sure you're going to get fanboys who are going to call this horrible and atrocious and an abomination to the franchise. But you're going to have people like me who are very, very casual observers who might throw a couple bucks that way, at least out of the curiosity factor. Right, because it's less of an upfront investment. Yeah, you could go crazy and do and just spend $300 in in-app purchases and, and get all the Pokemon, blah, blah, blah. It is a great way to dip your toes in the water as opposed to, well, I'd play Pokemon, but I don't want to buy a $200 handheld device and then get a game and then buy all these separate games. It's nice cross-platform like Android and iOS. So it's the only thing that it's not covering is 3DS. It, it is its own entity. Right. And of course, I'm going to be excited to report on anything additional we get about this. The game's slated for release sometime next year, um, but I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more in the near future. Gameplay videos, the mechanics. we got folks in our chat room that are very excited to see what sort of game mechanics. Yeah, the augmented reality thing. Yeah, that that's an exciting sort of thing to put into the, into the games. There's a lot of apps that involve that sort of thing. Uh, it's really cool. I, li- I like a lot of the um, augmented reality apps that you can look at constellations or planets or satellites crashing overhead. You can just turn the, the app on and aim your camera anywhere in the sky. It's going to show you where the planets and stars are and name them. And it's like this satellite and you click on it and it expands and it gives you what it is, when it was launched and all that sort of shit. Love that. I think it'd be great, you know, going forward to be able to do that with run and gun shooters to do it uh, platform style. I mean, yeah, it's going to look like a fucking circus act out on the streets. (laughs) People (laughs) looking for Pokemon and doing all kind of crazy shit. Uh, That was one of the questions that came up too is, you know, for hardcore gamers, do you have to leave the house to play? Or could you walk around to different rooms in your house and still find pokey things? Oh, yeah. You're sitting there taking a shit. <laughs> and, like, Pikachu comes in. Like, Pika, Pika, boopy. Now, that would just be twisted. It is twisted. But you know someone's going to do it. If the developers don't do it, somebody's going to find some way to do it. People are going to be screen capping all sorts of wrong, pervy, deviant, <laughs> augmented reality Pokemon shots. Could you imagine uh, an app, uh, augmented reality, like a uh, uh, Walking Dead type thing? where you shut off all the lights in your house and you turn the light on on your phone and you walk around and fucking zombies are lurking around your apartment. Shit, dude. I think that's genius. If there isn't already an app out there that's doing that, someone needs to. You should copyright that shit. That sounds excellent. I know they have one called Zombies Run, where it's basically a fitness app. You're going to run, but it's like audio theater playing in your headphones as you're running. (laughs) You're you're going on different missions. You got to get from point A to point B. And uh, a lot of people, that's gotten a lot of great reviews. I've seen crazy shit out there using GPS, something similar to that, where it shows you on the GPS where all the zombies are chasing after you, and you have to outrun and outpace the zombies. That's cool shit. 
Yeah, yeah. And Griff says uh, a mobile Five Nights at Freddy's, essentially. It's like, well, Five Nights at Freddy's, those developers just announced also that an RPG is in the works. If you, if you like that game and it's multiple sequels, very successful, creepy, that's a game to play in the dark with the headphones on. Ooh. To which I immediately say, fuck that. I don't. <laughs> fuck that noise with a rusty chainsaw and no lube and no reach around. Don't need the jump scares. Fuck that. But you do need the big ball broadcast in your life. Thank you to everyone who comes and joins on our chat room as we record each and every episode, typically on Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. You follow us at BB Broadcast. We'll generate the link when we go live so you'll know exactly where to go. There's no URLs to remember. We make it nice and simple. And of course, if you can't make any of those Wednesday night tapings, don't worry. Just subscribe to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast aggregator is. And or go, go to Smodcast.com directly to download or stream or catch up on all your favorite episodes from the Smodco family, which we are very, very proudly a part of. Until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.